Let me begin with a question. When something really, really bugs you, what do you do? Stuff it? Ignore it? Get angry about it? I have to confess, there's lots of things that bug me. Uh, One of them is this, a stat that I came across recently, a couple weeks ago, in my inbox. A research, um, Christian research company said this, only 20% of of churchgoers, people who claim to have a faith, actually start with the scriptures when it comes to politics. That ideology somehow gets first and the Bible is second. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, that bugs me, okay? But, but let me ask another question here. Does anything bug God? You ever thought about that question? Does anything frustrate him? Let's read the text for this morning. Mark chapter 11, verse 15, and they came to Jerusalem, this would be that Jesus and his disciples, and he entered the temple and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Now here's the Passion Week. We looked, started looking at this uh, last Sunday, but recognize there's some context today that we got to understand in, in terms of this, this story here today. First of all, this temple that he entered, this wasn't the first temple that was built. This is actually kind of a third edition. There was a second edition built. First one was destroyed, the second. And, and this was a remodeling project that was taking place that started 19 B.C., And it was going to be completed six years before the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Long period of building this temple. But here Jesus is here to celebrate the Passover. And the temple was the center of it. It was really that idea that they came to offer a sacrifice to remember what God had done back in Egypt. If you remember, the death angel came through the nation of or the Egypt and it was going to kill the firstborn unless they put blood on the doorposts, a lamb's blood, and that would save that family from death in their family. So understand, this was very important, this Passover. Matter of fact, it was so important that Deuteronomy 16, it points out that it was a requirement for the males. Any adult male was supposed to come to the city of Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice. But, and that, this would have been, again, in the temple. But I want to put a picture on the temple because there's also some pieces here in terms of even the structure. This temple, as they were building it, was kind of covering the whole mount, the whole top of this little mountain. 
And this facility here, this temple, was about 1,600 feet long by about 900 feet wide, and it was divided up into four areas. And if you came in from the east, you entered into the outer court, which was called the Court of the Gentiles. And that was where the Gentiles could stay and offer up prayers. And the second one, you'll see there's a kind of an inner area there. And the first, as you walk through there, that's where the Jewish women could go. And there were some columns there on the right there, kind of in the middle. And then there was one more smaller court where the men could go into. And then the building there, the temple itself, was where obviously for the priests and the leaders of that day as they used that for their sacrifices. But understand this as well, that um, the men who came had to pay a tax a half-shekel tax that would go to the leaders of the temple. But guess this, catch this. It wasn't just any coin, okay? Canadian coins, they couldn't use them. Pesos, they couldn't use them. So what they did is they set, they had these money changers in that outer court that were exchanging the money into the right currency for a fee, obviously. But, but you see another piece to even that. Who allowed the money changers to go into the court? It was the leaders, the Jewish leaders of that day. And guess what? They would get their cut as well. For a fee, you could set up your vendor in, in that area. So, so you understand this is a part of it. But in that area as well in the outer court, I understand it was filled with cattle with oxen and with sheep, and it almost felt like a stockyard, and along with a bunch of the money changers and the vendors. So it's kind of like a flea market with a stockyard put together. So you imagine walking through the courtyard, having to worry about, step around some things to get through as you walked. But this Gentile courtyard was really for the Gentiles, and the purpose there was to, so the Gentiles could come and worship Yahweh. And, and you realize, again, how, I, I don't know if the religious rulers really cared about that in that sense. But there's another issue as well, the sacrifices themselves. You understand that the sacrifices had to be inspected. So if you brought, for example, a, a sheep to be sacrificed, you'd have to go through an inspection. And at that point, Mr. Jones, you know that sheep you brought? It's not good enough. I'm sorry. But, you know, we have some vendors that have sheep over in the corner there in the courtyard. And you can go buy a already inspected sacrifice so it's acceptable in the temple. For a fee, obviously, and a little bit of extra money. See, the harsh reality is they were exploiting people that wanted to worship Matter of fact, the pigeons that they were selling and the doves they were selling, equivalent, I read, is that if they would have been, for example, $4 in our day, they actually would have been worth a nickel. That was the kind of markup that was going on in that courtyard. And I'll say this, I think as he walked in there, Jesus was really bugged. And he was angry. 
And, and look at one of the reasons for it. Verse 17 here. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? Even notice that all the nations and more than just the Israelites. But you have made it a den of robbers. So Jesus comes in. He begins to drive out these vendors with their cattle, with the sheep and the oxen. He begins to turn over the money, the carts or the tables that had the money on it. You think of coins rolling all over the place. This was no Mr. Rogers Jesus here today, folks. He was not happy. Matter of fact, in that statement about a den of robbers, listen to Isaiah 56, 7. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted in my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Even an Old Testament text from Isaiah pointing out, this is more than just Israel, this is even all of the Gentiles as well. But I really believe as we come to this story, there's some things that we need to remember that we can learn. We can learn about Jesus as well in this encounter and even understand our Father in heaven even more as a result of this. So if you're following along in your notes in the bulletin today, the first one, the lesson that I, that I pointed out first is I think this, God despises the selling of religion for a profit. And if we don't think this goes on today, I think we're sticking our head in the sand. But here's a nuance to this issue. Any of you have, before the section that we read in your Bibles, it talks about the cleansing of the temple or temple cleansing in that way. As I was digging in this week, one of the pieces to this is that many people believe that there's also this prophetic sense that's going on here. And it's actually less about cleaning out the temple and it's more about a judgment against the leaders of that day. He was judging the religious elite who controlled the temple, controlled that outer market. They were selling religion for a profit. Now, some believe, understand, even it's pointing toward the destruction of Jerusalem. In that 70 AD, the whole temple was going to be destroyed. And this was really a preview of God coming in and judging, even as Jesus overturned the the carts and drove out the cattle in that day. But here's where I, I got to apply it even for us in our day. I don't think this is like, if we, if somebody, a group sold donuts here today afterwards, some good caramel rolls, okay, for, for uh, and, and they're going to raise it for a missions trip out in our for, uh, foyer there. I don't think that's what it's talking about today. See, back then, this was about commercialized religion. It was exploiting people. So it would add to their bank account. They wanted the money. And is that not true in our culture today, that there's commercialized religion, they're exploiting people? Some of the Christian television, I just can't handle watching Christian TV much. I'll be honest with you. And you hear some of the dishonest hucksters on television you know, next week, if you give our church a gift of $10, I'm going to give you some holy water that's going to grow your hair. Okay. 
Or, you know what, if you send me $100, I'm going to give you some anointed clothes, and it is going to be guaranteed to make you look and feel great. Everybody's going to be impressed. And if you send $1,000 in, God is going to bless you and multiply you tenfold. Hallelujah. Can I hear amen? Okay, you, you understand what goes on in television if you've ever heard it. I, I remember um, a couple of years ago reading an article of Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of you know her uh, paraplegic diving into a lake and, and become a quadriplegic. And she went to one of these healing services. Just, she wanted God to heal her. And she was sitting there in the group of people, and they never would pick her and express the disappointment in that. See, it goes on today. People use religion for their pocketbook. But there's another issue in our text today, I think that's really, under, it's an undercurrent of this story, and it comes from John 2. John 2 is another temple cleansing. Now here's, i got, I got to qualify this, because some people believe this is the a first temple cleansing. There's some disagreement here. Some think it's the triumphal entry right at that point, but others think it's actually the early days of his ministry, and Jesus' ministry is coupled with a temple cleansing and, a, and the, the one at the triumphal entry. Not sure which one. There's some debate on it. But look how it reads, because it applies to us today. John 2, verse 4. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords. He drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So let me give you a point here that I think is really a part of this event. Next bullet there in your notes, I said it this way, Jesus is replacing the temple with himself. Destroy this temple and I'm going to raise it up. Folks, this is a foundational change that's taking place, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. This was the, really the final Passover. Jesus hanging on that cross. He was the lamb. There was no more lambs needed. And then he also points out, there's no longer a need for a temple anymore. I am the temple. I am the place where God dwells. I am the one that's supposed to be center to worship. I am the true temple of God. Do we recognize that? But here's where I need to make a statement. Often too many believers come to a, I'm going to say, a false belief that a building like this is equated to a temple. 
And I want to point out, that is just not biblical. And in fact, matter of fact, it can lead to worshiping a place versus the, the Son of Jesus, the Son of the Father. See, this room, a room like this, there is no intrinsic holiness built in it. The only reason it's holy is because we are here, the body. Yes, we can pray, we can worship, but there's no intrinsic holiness within a building. Matter of fact, let me show you a little bit more. Woman at the well exchange, John 4.19, look at how it reads. The woman said to him, talking to Jesus here, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, implying in the temple, is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming. And this is this week, the hour is coming. When neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. A building to connect with God is done away with here. Matter of fact, let me push it a little bit farther yet. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you, people that know God, You are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you. See, it implies now that we are the temple because the spirit of God is within us. There is no need for a building to somehow connect to God. Do we catch that? But there's another point. And this one I think is really quite profound. And I just had to kind of sit in awe of it this week, even as I studied. For your notes, I said the third point there. Jesus can hate sin and still be filled with love and compassion. Now you might be scratching your heads and go, okay, Ken, where did you get that from in this passage here? Well, here's where I need to take you to Matthew 21 as Matthew looks at this event. And he adds a piece here that's very important. Look at how it reads here. Verse 13, he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And look at this 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple just after he's clearing it out, as he's done with it, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you see what's taking place here? His righteous anger that caused people to run away from him, to run from his presence, the lenders, the dealers, they didn't didn't want anything to do with this guy Jesus but there was another group of people who turned and walked toward him and he showed his compassion do you catch a glimpse of Jesus here this truth really that is so you almost need to stand in awe of it he's righteous He's angry, he's judging, and he's still full of love and compassion. I don't know about you guys, but if you're ever angry, you know, 
you know how difficult it is when we get really frustrated and even angry and we go, how do you turn it from that and the emotion of it and all of a sudden look at somebody and have compassion? See, that's what Jesus did here. He's righteous, anger, and yet the foundation of who he is, he's loving and he's compassionate. Jesus can have righteous anger and be filled with compassion. He's holy, he's righteous, he's a judge, and he's still approachable, and he's still welcoming to people. See, when people come in humility, and I believe that's what it was for those, the lame and the sick at that point, they, he, they understood what was going on, his anger, but they knew something. They knew they needed Jesus. That he was the source of something different for their lives, the hope for their lives. Now, were they empty of their sin? I go, no, not at all. They were sinners, needed the sacrifice, needed the grace of God. And yet they came toward him. And he met them and he healed them. At this point, I want to invite Kelsey Harling up. And, and Kelsey just wants to share a little bit, really, how, in many ways, how this story intersects with her story. So we want to just welcome here Kelsey today. Hi, guys. Hi. Uh, my name is Kelsey. I am 23 years old. Um, I usually don't prepare a testimony, but um, today I'm going to do it. I wrote it down on paper. Um, so, yeah, here we go. Um, I was born and raised in a Christian home. Um, I accepted Christ at the age of 13, very young, um, kind of because everybody was doing it at that time, and um, I just, I don't know, that's when I accepted him. Um, I started smoking weed uh, in eighth grade, going into ninth. Um, partying came really short after. Um, I had bunion surgery, so um, that's when pills were introduced to me. Um, then my wisdom teeth got pulled, then I had more pills introduced to me. Um, I went into a 12-step program in 11th grade. Um, I just I, I did it to um, not only get on the basketball team, but um, I knew that I needed help and that um, I had some strongholds there. So I tried it. Um, I lasted for, or I made it through the five months, completed it, and um, I stayed sober afterwards for two more months. Um, and then, yeah, I, I um, of course, I found it again. I found weed again and pills, downers and uppers, um, and alcohol came back into my life. Um, it just escalated really quickly downhill. Um, I was kicked off the basketball team my senior year. I was one of the three captains. went downhill really quick. Um, that really affected me. It hurt. Um, it was very embarrassing. But, um, yeah, I was falling more and more um, in love with Adderall. It was a legal form of meth. Um, it gives you energy, and um, that's, what I, that's what I liked about it. I liked to have energy and just to be awake, stay awake. Um, when I graduated high school, I wanted to get away from the area. Um, and just start start clean, start a new slate. So um, I moved to North Dakota for school at NDSU, um, thinking I could start afresh. But, um, yeah, you take that lifestyle with you wherever you go unless you're completely ready to surrender it. So, however, I, uh, of course, met people in college who smoked weed, um, had Adderall, and people who uh, loved to party. And, of course, I fit in that mold because um, I was used to doing that stuff at home. Um, slowly, I, qu I quit going to my classes um, when I was a freshman in high, uh, college, and um, I started partying more and more. Um, 
I got into an abusive relationship verbally, and it really took a toll on me. Um, I got prescribed Adderall for my ADHD, although I thought I needed it, but I really didn't. Um, I was getting 60 pills a month. I was selling some. I was taking some. Um, freshman year is done. I failed all but one course. Um, pretty embarrassing again, but um, I just my life was devoted to partying and self-indulging stuff, and um, I ended up breaking up with my boyfriend. Um, I started working at Denny's as a server just to have a job at least. Um, uh, I met another guy who uh, smoked weed there at Denny's. Um, we ended up dating and living together for two and a half years. I supported us. Um, we were both very abusive towards each other physically and verbally. Um, and that's when stuff really started to go downhill. Um, I got a job at, uh, as a bartender um, some years after, or a year after that, I think. Um, I was making really good money, so I, I just thought that that's where I needed to be just in order to survive and to support us. Um, at the end of our relationship, things were really bad. Um, I couldn't take the craziness anymore. Um, I found out I was pregnant from him, and I really panicked then. I wanted... I wanted to get out, and I wanted to never see him again or be connected to him. So, um, yeah, I definitely didn't want to have a baby with him and be attached to him forever. So um, I asked him what he wanted to do because I was pregnant with his baby. Um, he left the decision up to me whether or not to keep the baby. Um, and it was the hardest decision I've ever had to make. Um, having an abortion because I knew better growing up. I was always so against women who who would do that, and um, it just it was it really took a toll on me. I did not want to live after that. I hated my life. I just I did not want to live at all. Um, so I ended up yeah I go, went through with the abortion because I was not ready to be a mom. Um, shortly after I did that, cocaine was introduced to me by the same guy, my boyfriend. Um, I took it to work thinking uh, or. As I was working the closing shifts at the bar, um, it just it helped me get through my shifts. I was tired, worked all the time, late. Um, where am I? Okay, so one of my regulars, I told her that um, I had cocaine because it seemed like she was doing that. So sure enough, um, we swapped cocaine. Um, I tried hers, and it was awful. And little did I know, hers was meth. So meth, meth was introduced to me then. I was hooked immediately the very first time I did it. Um, it I went downhill really quick. Um, I could not even hold a job. Um, all I wanted to do was just get high, and um, <clears throat> that's all I pretty much knew for the six to seven months is just to do what my flesh wanted to do. Um, I pretty much lost everything, including my family's trust. So I moved back home for the last two months of my addiction, thinking I could escape it, get closer with my family. Um, but that didn't work. Uh, my addiction only got worse. Um, I couldn't hold a job. I couldn't even see my family because of not the shame, the guilt, but um, just of the condition I was in. I was 92 pounds. I was very sucked up, just in a dark place. Um, the enemy was holding me in bondage, and I, I literally wanted to be dead. I wanted my somebody to take my life or God to take my life. Um, that's when I cried out to God one day. Um, I think it was on July 3rd or 4th of last year. Um, I cried out to him and I said, God, if, if I, I, I can't even really remember the words I said, but I just, I wanted him to take my life. I didn't want to be here anymore because of this addiction. And it really, um, I was in a really big stronghold. It was just, it had me. Like, that's all I was doing was 
just living to get high and it just, it sucked. It really did. It, it wasn't good. Um, so I was kicking and screaming, crying out to God and for him to take my life. My family was so suspicious. I was just, um, it wasn't good. I kept straying away and um, not coming coming home and promising them I'd come home. And um, a few days later, I, I was um, uh, getting high at a friend's house, and I got a call from my brother, Brock. Um, we talked for a long time. Then um, he said at the end, Kels, I'm calling you because I'm really worried about you. Um, I heard you're doing heroin. Is that true? I said, no, that's I've never even tried heroin. Um, then, he, then he asked me about meth. Um, I was very hesitant. Uh, I think I even told him I, my Adderall medication was making me drop weight, and that's why I looked the way I did. Um, but by the end of our conversation, I admitted that I needed help and that I was doing meth. Um, I had an appointment for a secular program in North Dakota where my meth addiction started. Um, but, but God had a, a much better plan for my life. Um, Brock called me back and said, what about Teen Challenge? Um, I said, sure. I didn't know that it was a year, but... Um, that's, that's exactly what I needed. So I had the option um, of going to Minnesota or Southern Cali. I chose to go to California so I wouldn't find my way home. Um, so, and I didn't know anybody there, so I figured it would be the perfect opportunity. Um, so here I am in my 11th month. Um, I graduate next month on the 15th of August. And, yeah, I've recommitted my broken life to Christ, and he has redeemed me. He has set me free from all the bondage, all those chains that I was in or that was against me and um, yeah, God's plans for me after uh, my 12 months are up is for me to be an apprentice. Um, it's an extended four-month um, in the program, and um, it's just coming alongside the girls who are starting out their year in Teen Challenge um, in the induction centers. There's two choices there. Or I could stay and um, help the girls finish out their year. So wherever God uh, wants me to go, I'm, I'm willing. So, um, And then I, I'm, I th- my heart is kind of to do the Bible college after that, if it's in his will. So... I'm just praying for direction, um, and today I really I want to live. I don't I don't want to be dead or or um, anybody to take my life unless it's God's will. But um, I'll just tell you a little bit about Teen Challenge. I'll wrap it up. Um, oh yeah, um, it's they they say uh, it's the Jesus factor that um, gets everybody off their or out of their addictions, and I firmly believe that. Um, so Teen Challenge um, is a one-year residential program. It's completely for free except for toiletries, um, uh, unless you have family. But if not, you're still covered. Um, it's Jesus Christ-based. Um, we survive off of donations. We do a lot of fundraising, storefront, door-to-door, and um, just other events that they host. Um, it's a discipleship training camp. The Holy Spirit guides and teaches us how to follow Jesus every single day. Um, it's it's the best place ever. I, I really want to give back to there. So, um, Teen Challenge is for anyone 18 and up, or there's an adolescent, uh, 11 to 17. Um, yeah, it's uh, for them who battle any type of addiction. Uh, we fast from the worldly lifestyle, cell phones, games, t- TV, non-Christian movies, old friends, acquaintances, um, the internet, computer, Newspaper, radio, music, except for Christian music, um, magazines, family, everything for an entire year. Um, This is the only way that worked for me personally to crucify my flesh and put to death my sinful nature um, in order to live the way God wants me to live with the help of the Holy Spirit too. So um, the verse I stand on is Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God, uh, seek to live righteously, and everything else shall be added unto you. And it's by God's grace and mercy that I'm here today and... um, by our Savior, Jesus Christ. So I, I, I don't know where I would be without him. And 
Yeah, so thank you guys for all your prayers. It really means the world to me. I wouldn't be where I'm at today without you guys too, so thank you. And uh, mom and dad and my family is here too. Thank you guys so much for everything and coming alongside of me and your prayers. It just it means a lot. I couldn't have done it without you guys either and um, your support. So I love you and thank you. Thank you guys too. And also, I forgot to tell the last service, um, we have pamphlets out uh, in the foyer on the welcome area um, for Southern Cali. Um, I believe if you guys know of anybody that needs to go, it's completely for free. Um, it's a great place. Um, also, the, there's a David Wilkerson, um, or the Cross and the Switchblade. You can get a free copy if you'd like. Just fill out one of the Harvest um, partner cards, and yeah, they'll send it to you for free. So thank you guys for having me, and God bless you all. Do you catch the picture of that temple? Some people running away from Jesus don't want anything to do with him. But there was this group within the temple that were running to him. And I think Kelsey's testimony is that's the picture. See, if we humble ourselves, his judgment isn't the issue. See, we get trapped into sin, and too often what, what happens is we work hard to stay away from Jesus. And he's saying, come to me, I'll heal you. See, the lame and the sick and the needy, they, know, they knew that they weren't perfect. You understand, there was deep sin in their lives. They weren't per- perfect at all. But they moved toward Jesus. And really, I want to add one more point here that's not in your notes, but if you want to write it down, it's up to you. But I said it this way. We don't have to clean ourselves up from sin before we run to Jesus. I think too many people believe that, that you know, if I just got to figure out my life, and then I'm going to move toward him. And I go, no, he's waiting with open arms. See, if you know Jesus... Don't run away from him like the money changers. Run toward him like those people that knew that he was the answer to real hope. And so the challenge for us, if there's things in your life, and it may not be drugs, it may not be whatever, but there can be other things, relationships, whatever, is that God wants you to, through his son, move toward his son Jesus because he is the author and the perfecter of your faith. And as you put your life into his hands, he can change you. So today I would invite you to run to him because he wants to set you free. And here would be my prayer for you, that if you say that, I'm going to pray in a minute, but if you do that, here's one challenge that I'd like you to do. Would you tell somebody else that I'm maybe with this issue, and I need to run toward Christ, and would you pray for me? Maybe it's email myself or the elders, or if you want to even talk more, I'd be more than willing to talk with you. But run toward him. Allow people in your life to love you and to help you and to pray for you. See, Kelsey's a testimony to what Jesus wants to do in all of us. Let's stand and pray.